we are going to open the Word of God together. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And we are going to be looking at two verses this morning in the book of Ephesians. And that is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. And I want to entitle our thoughts this morning, The Sweet, Sweet Doctrine of the Sovereignty of God. The Sweet, Sweet Doctrine of the Sovereignty of God. And that doctrine comes to us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul writes this, In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. As I've entitled our thoughts this morning, The Sweetness of God's Sovereignty, that title comes to us not only from the testimony of Scripture, but it comes really from the experience of my own heart. There is no truth that has brought to me greater comfort. There is no truth that has brought to me more peace. There is no truth that has comforted the the waters of my soul more than to know in these past few weeks that our God is a sovereign God, that our God is in control, that there is no circumstance that is outside of his sovereign power, that he is on the throne and that he is working in our lives. And as verse 11 says, he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Would you note, dear brothers and sisters, that text does not say he is working some things according to the counsel of his will. That text does not say that God is working most things according to his sovereign plan. No, the text says in verse 11 that all things, all things are underneath God's sovereign hand. All things are underneath God's sovereign control. And I've titled our thoughts the sweetness of God's sovereignty because there is a sweetness in understanding the sovereignty of God. There's a sweetness that comes when we savor this truth, that no matter what comes into our lives, no matter what circumstances or trials, no matter what sorrows or disappointments, no matter what challenges that are before us, that our God is a sovereign God, that our God is on his throne, that there is nothing that is too difficult for him, And that he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 34 verse 8, the psalmist said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste of his goodness. Taste of who he is. Psalm 119 verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. And if there's any reason that we can have peace in our circumstances, If there's any reason that we can have quietness of soul, it is because of this, that our God has not abdicated his throne. Our God is not surprised by any challenges that are before us. Our God is not in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that maybe things will turn out right. No, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. 
and all of our circumstances are in our lives, brothers and sisters, because of God's sovereign appointment. They are here because God has ordained them to be. And if you can understand that truth, if you can drink that truth into your soul, you can have peace in your heart, no matter what will happen. Everything in our lives is according to God's plan. And when you understand that truth, it speaks peace to your soul. You know, this other week, I received some criticism personally that was very difficult for me to hear. So I asked for honest feedback from the church, and I received some. It was very difficult for me to hear. It was, it was directed toward me personally, and I, I remember reading this and just struggling because my first reaction was to just become defensive. And just to say, well, this person doesn't know what they're talking about, and this person is not saying right things, and they don't, they don't understand what is going on and why things are the way that they are. And, and as I sat before this and just brought this to the Lord, I realized, you know what? God is sovereign in my life. And what that means is that this piece of criticism is in my life because of God's sovereign appointment. And even if it was completely 100% wrong, even if it was 100% malicious, even if it was 100% evil, and that person was out to get me, which just wasn't true, but even if it was that, that God would have a reason, that God would have a purpose. And I just asked the Lord, Lord, you have this in my life because of your sovereignty. What is it that you're trying to teach me? And as I quieted my heart before the sovereignty of God, I was able to look at this criticism with a quieter heart. And as I did this, I realized, you know, this person's right. This is an area where I need to grow. This is an area where God wants to mature me. This is a weakness that, that was not brought to my attention, and, and God was using this circumstance to grow me in Christ, and I would have resisted that and not received the blessing of sanctification. And, and because of the truth of God's sovereignty, I was able to go from being defensive to go to being filled with a heart of praise and just thanking God. Thank you, Lord, that you brought this to my attention. Thank you, Lord, for this person who has spoken this truth into my life, and thank you that you are sovereign, that you are using this for my good. You want to bless me through this. You know, if you understand God's sovereignty, you will experience a sweetness of heart in the most difficult of circumstances. C.H. Spurgeon said this, that there is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of God's sovereignty. He said, under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, God's children believe that sovereignty hath ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. He said, it is God upon the throne that we love to preach, and it is God upon the throne that we love to trust. Dear brothers and sisters, do you love to trust in the sovereignty of God? Do you love to rest your soul in the truth of his sovereignty? Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, God says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my 
purpose. Would you notice it doesn't say, I'll accomplish some of my purpose. No, all of my purposes will be accomplished because I am God and there is no other. Verse 11 says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. The victory is certain. The outcome is sure. God will accomplish all that he has purposed. And brothers and sisters, all the circumstances in your life and my life this morning is here because of the sovereign hand of God. When we resist our circumstances, we are resisting God's sovereignty because he has put our circumstances in our lives and he means for us good, not evil. The challenges, the trials, the disappointments, the struggles are here because God is for us, not against us. God has intended these things in our lives that we may be blessed and that we may be more like Christ. Psalm 33 verse 10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I just ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, are you fretful about the circumstances in your life? Are you worried or discouraged about what may come in the future? Or maybe what bothers you this morning is not what's in the future, but what is in the past. Maybe you're looking at your past and you're saying, if I just made this decision differently, things would be better. Or if I had just done things differently in this situation, then my life would have turned out differently. Or if I just had not made that mistake, then my life would be different today. Oh, brothers and sisters, when you look at the past in your life, you are looking at the unfolding of the sovereign plan of God. Nothing is by accident, and nothing is out of his control. Every single thing that you've experienced in your life is the outworking of God's sovereign plan, and he has put those things in your life for your good. For your good, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a single thing, not a single trial that comes into the life of the Christian is an expression of the wrath of God. No, brothers and sisters, what comes into the life of the Christian is an expression of the love of God. God is for us. He's not against us. He's working all things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. There is not a molecule, there's not an atom, there's not an event, there's not a situation, there's not a trial, there's not a disappointment that is not here apart from the sovereign hand of God. And the sovereign hand of God works in our lives for our good. Dear brothers and sisters, do you believe that this morning? That God is for you, not against you. Do you believe that this morning, that God is on your side? Do you believe that this morning, that not a single thing that will ever come into your life will be the expression of the judgment or the condemnation of God? No, every single circumstance that comes into your life will be an expression of his grace. It will be an expression of his love. Because Christ has absorbed the wrath of God in our lives. And everything, God works everything for our good and for his glory. Some of you remember, may remember the, the TV show, The A-Team, in the 80s. I used to watch that show and, and just, just love that show. And at the end of every show, the leader, Hannibal, he chomps on a cigar. And after The A-Team kind of defeats the bad guys, 
The last scene is always Hannibal, and he says with a smile, I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. And as I thought about that, I thought that must be the sentiment of God in heaven. He's looking at what is going on in our lives, and he's saying the plan is coming together. The plan is coming together. Everything is happening exactly according to plan. Nothing's awry. Nothing's out of place. God's not anxious. In fact, 1 Timothy says that God is a blessed God. You know, you know what? God is happy. God is smiling in heaven because everything's under control. He's looking at Cornerstone. He's looking at our church. And he's saying, everything is going according to my plan. And I will accomplish all my good purpose. Do you believe that this morning, child of God? Do you believe that God is sovereign and he is in control? And that no matter what the mistakes that you have made, no matter what the choices that you have made in your life, that all is being worked out according to his plan. The sovereignty of God is so all-encompassing that even man's sin is underneath the sovereignty of God. Even the wickedness of man is underneath God's control. You know, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said this. He said to his brothers who threw him into the pit, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. You threw me in the pit. You betrayed me. You sold me into slavery. I spent 10 years in prison because of what you did. You meant it for evil. But you know what? Even as you did that evil, God was so working through that circumstance. He sovereignly used even that event to accomplish his good. And who would know that the result of you doing this great evil and injustice would be that I would be second in command in Egypt. God overrules even the wickedness of man. In fact, when God, man does his worst, God does his best. We know that on the cross, that man accomplishes worse, that men murder Jesus, they murder their Messiah, and yet even the murdering of the Son of God was the sovereign plan of God accomplish the redemption of the world, even the failures of man, even the sins of men, even the weaknesses of men, even the wrong decisions of men, man might mean it for evil, but God means it for good, and he sovereignly works even through the failures of men. William Cooper was a hymn writer who was a contemporary of John Newton. And he was one of the popular poets of his time. He became a Christian at the age of 33. And Cooper struggled with depression all his life. In fact, even as a Christian, he continued to struggle with depression. And he struggled with this depression even till his dying day. He once described depression as being struck with a dejection of spirits, lying down in horror, rising up in despair. And in the midst of this great battle, he wrote one of the sweetest testimonies to the sovereignty of God. He said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. 
He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Do you believe this morning that the providence of God is frowning upon your life and mine? Do you believe this morning that circumstances look bleak and hopeless and without resolution? Oh, behind a frowning providence, God hides his smiling face. God is smiling upon your life and mine if you and I are in Christ Jesus. God is smiling upon your life and mine if our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. God is smiling upon our church this morning even as we trust him in difficult times. For behind the frowning circumstances of our lives, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. This morning I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 and I want to point out two simple truths that are found in this text. First, I'd like for us to look at the purpose of God. The purpose of God in verse 11. Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And that word purpose is so very important. That word purpose is the key to understanding God's sovereignty. The word speaks of a plan or a program that God has determined in eternity past for his glory. It speaks of a plan or a program that has been determined by God in eternity past that he is now working out. That's why Paul says in verse 11 that God has predestined us according to the purpose of him. God has ordained us. He has preordered our lives for a definite future. And he says all things are being worked out according to this purpose, which you note he says that God is working all things according to his purpose. He is energeo. He is actively orchestrating all the affairs and all the circumstances of life in order to accomplish the purpose that he has already ordained. All things are according to the purpose of him, and he works all things according to the counsel of his will. That word counsel speaks of a very deliberate intention. It's not the idea that God just sort of like hastily put something together, but that he has meticulously planned every event in human history. And he is sovereignly working all things according to that purpose. If you think about it, all of human history is according to the purpose of him. All of human history is according to this plan. I was a history major in college. I studied history. And I didn't learn that much history. I was a really bad student, but I... I I knew enough to know that this study is never ending. This study is multifaceted. I mean, there's American history and Asian history and European history, and there's all sorts of histories. And you could spend your whole life studying just 10 years of human history, and you would never exhaust all that was there. All of human history is encompassed in the plan of God, in the program of God. 
There's not a detail or an era or a government or a person that is not according to the purpose of him. And you might say, well, Dan, that's the big picture, right? I mean, that seems so vast. That seems like such a big thing. But catch this. Your life, my life, is according to the purpose and the plan of God. You say, why is my life the way that it is today? Why is my life the way that I'm experiencing it right now, it is the way that it is today because that is God's plan. God is working all things according to the purpose of his will. The Westminster Catechism writes this, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will. For his own glory, he hath foreordained whatever comes to pass. God is actively working in our lives this morning. Some of us have an idea that God is in heaven and he is passively watching things unfold. That God is reacting to our circumstances. That God is even surprised that certain things happened and then he's kind of saying, what's going to happen? Well, let me infuse some grace here and let me give strength to them there because they're confused. No, God is actively bringing these things into our lives and he's bringing these things into our lives that we may trust him that we may trust him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's perfect timing because we had two weddings yesterday and Ruth is a love story. It's uh, one of the greatest love stories ever written. And Ruth is poor and Boaz is old. Ruth is uh, Moabite and Boaz is an Israelite and they have nothing in common. They have absolutely no reason to come together and this story is a story about God's sovereignty. How God sovereignly brings this couple together and how he uses this couple to accomplish the coming of Jesus. And the story opens with Ruth being in a very desperate situation. Her husband has just died in Moab and her mother-in-law, Naomi's husband, has died as well. And in those days, when you had no husband, you had no means of support. A widow was poor and penniless. And so these are two very desperate women. And they go back to Israel, and Ruth is gleaning in the fields. And the gleaning of the fields was like the Old Testament welfare system. This is the equivalent of a woman going through the, the trash and picking out the aluminum cans in order to just get some bread on the table. She is desperate, and she is poor. And I love how this story unfolds, because Ruth chapter 2, verse 3 says that Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field. And she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to come into the field of this man who was a man of means, who was a man of compassion, who was a man of excellence, who was a godly man, and who was a man who just so happened to be single, just like her. She just happened upon this field. And to make a long story short, Boaz marries Ruth. He redeems her. And he gets, there's this rival guy who, uh, who almost marries Ruth and he kind of gets this guy out of the way and he marries her and she has a child and this child's name is Obed and Obed fathers Jesse and Jesse fathers David and David is the ancestor of Jesus Christ. And so Ruth, in the space of three chapters, goes from being abject and destitute to being one of the blessed women in Jewish history. She goes from being poor and penniless and without hope to being in the line of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
How long did it take for a woman to go from a place of hopelessness to a place of blessedness? It took three chapters of God's sovereign working. It took three chapters of God providentially working through her life. And if you look at the story, you realize this, that if Ruth had not experienced the trials of Ruth chapter 1, she would have not experienced the blessings of Ruth chapter 4. If she had not lost her husband, she would not have gone back to Israel. If she had not gone back to Israel, she would not have met Boaz. And if she had not met Boaz, she would not be in the ancestry of the line of Jesus Christ. Oh, God has a purpose in everything he does. Oh, God has a reason for everything he ordains. There is a result an end in mind in what God is doing in our lives. And if you are discouraged in your present circumstances, if you are discouraged by the circumstances we face, if you are even discouraged about the circumstances of our church, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you and let me exhort you that God is not finished writing the story. There are more chapters that are yet to be written And we do not know the purposes of God until he unfolds it in time for his praise. We are called to trust in the sovereignty of God. We are called to trust in his good and perfect design. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will will make straight your paths. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know, as we, I'll just share my heart with you this morning as we look at this text and as we walk together through the season of our church's history. You know, I just, it's just been on my heart as, as I seek to care for your soul and as I seek to, to pray for your hearts and I seek to direct you to the Lord. That men will fail and man all flesh is like grass and men are fallible and men are weak. And, men are weak. and I say this as one who has many weaknesses of my own. That I think if, if you, as the members of Cornerstone Bible Church, if you were to lose your trust in this ministry, I think I would struggle with that. It'd be very difficult for me. I'll be heartbroken. But in the end, I could have peace with that. I could have peace with that. Because men will fail. And men have weaknesses. I think if you were even to lose your trust in my ministry, if you were to say, Dan, I can't trust you. I can't follow you. I can't submit under your leadership. I think, brothers and sisters, I could have peace with that. Because I know my weaknesses. I know my sins. It's an act of grace that any would submit under my ministry. But brothers and sisters, if if you were to lose your trust in the sovereignty of God, if you were to lose your trust in God's sovereign hand, 
if you would allow the weaknesses of men and the failures of men to so discourage your heart that you took your eyes off the God who is sovereign and you, and you stopped trusting him because of what men have done, I, I would not have peace with that. I couldn't live with that. I couldn't live with that fact that you have lost your trust in God's sovereignty. And I would just urge you and I would plead with you and I would beg of you this morning to take your eyes off the trials and take your eyes off the circumstances and take your eyes off men and to place your eyes on the sovereign God, to place your eyes on him and his sovereign purposes, to not let your trust in a sovereign God be moved or be swayed because brothers and sisters, he is faithful. He is working. He is sovereign. He's in control. Do not let... Don't you dare let the failures of men make you take your trust away from a sovereign God. No matter what comes into our lives, he is faithful. No matter what the circumstances we face, he is sovereign. No matter what you and I walk through, he is for us and he is not against us. And that leads us to the second point I want to emphasize to you this morning, that God has a purpose. The second point is that the purpose is to bring praise to his great name. The purpose is to bring praise to his great name. From the purpose, we move to the praise. And the praise is, verse 12, that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. You say, Dan, what is God doing in our lives? What is God doing in our church? What he's doing is he's glorifying his great name. What he's doing, he's working for his own glory. Two sentences changed the whole course of my Christian life. They were the opening sentences to a sermon by John Piper. And the first sentence was this. He said, God is the most God-centered person in the universe. God is the most God-centered person in the universe. And then the second sentence that he said was this, ultimately, the greatest affection God has is for God. Uppermost in God's affections is God. God does all things for the glory of his great name, and he is passionate and zealous about that purpose. The ultimate purpose in verse 12 is God is working for the praise of his glory. Isaiah 48 verse 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Ezekiel 20 verse 9 says, But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. What God is doing in the course of human history, what God is doing in the course of our lives, is he is orchestrating all the situations in order to produce praise of man for his glory. He is working for the praise of his name. And you and I need to hear this, brothers and sisters. 
you and I need to hear this because our constant bent and our constant preoccupation, what we always default to is to see ourselves as the center of the universe, is to see how all things are affecting us. How is this affecting my life? How is this going according to my plan? And what we need is a constant healthy dose of verse 12 that no, we are not the center of the universe. And ultimately, God is not working for the praise of us, but God is the center of the universe, and he is doing all things for the glory of his great name. What is God doing in our lives this morning? He is glorifying Christ. He is glorifying Christ. How is God working in our trials? He is glorifying Christ. He is bringing praise to his name. What is God's ultimate purpose in what he has ordained? It is to bring eternal praise to his name. God has a passion for his great name and uppermost in his affections is himself. Now I have good news that part of him glorifying himself is him doing good to us. That God does, brings glory to his name as he displays grace in our lives. But ultimately, the eternal purposes of God terminate in God and not in man. One of my favorite YouTube videos is a video, uh, some of you, I've, I've shown it to you, it's a video of the universe. And it sort of zooms in at the beginning of the video and shows us Earth, and this is you, this is where you live, and here's the oceans, and here's the seas, and the, and the land, and then it zooms out, and here's Mars, and Saturn, and Jupiter, and now we're going to, to Neptune, and Pluto, and here's the solar system. And once you see the solar system, it zooms out again and it shows you, here's the Milky Way and here's all the galaxies. And then here's the, it pans out all the way and shows us, here's the entire created universe as we know it. And then it flashes all the way back and goes right like, like a warp speed back to Earth and shows us this is where you live in light of God's awesome creation. And the effect of that video upon my soul every time I've watched it is that I feel at the end very, very small. I feel very, very small. And I know that there is much bigger things going on than what is going on in my life. And what I would say to you this morning is that as you look at what God has ordained in this circumstance, that these circumstances that we face are very, very small in comparison to the vast eternal plan that God is working out in time. Our temptation is to see our present circumstances as very, very big and to see God as very, very small. That's not true. Our circumstances are small and God is very big. And these circumstances, God is... He's smiling. He's not breaking a sweat. He's not anxious in heaven. He's not, oh no, I wonder what's going to happen. No, he's smiling. It's all going according to plan. I think a guy's on the basketball court, and I don't really play basketball, so I don't know this too well, but I've seen guys do this, where they kind of go like, there's some guy that's guarding them that's a little bit shorter than them, and they'll kind of wave off the other guys, and they'll kind of say, I got this. Got this, I can take him. Got this, no sweat. And I, I just think of how 
God is looking at the circumstances in our lives and, and he's saying, I got this. This is no problem for me. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And so no, it is not our circumstances that are big. And it is not that our God is small. It is that our God is sovereign. And what is going on at Cornerstone Bible Church is a blip. It is a part of God's plan. And so yeah, God cares about it. It is, we are a part of his purpose, and yeah, God cares about what's going on. But this is a blip in light of God's sovereign purpose. And God will be faithful to work in our circumstances because he is passionate about his own glory. You know, when Peter, he walked on water and he walked toward Jesus and his eyes were focused on the sufficiency of Jesus, And then you know the story. What happened? He began to look at the waves and he began to sink. He began to look at the circumstances that were around him and become intimidated because they seemed so frightful and he took his eyes off the sufficiency of his Savior and the result was his feet began to sink. And the temptation that you have and the temptation that I have in this day is to take our eyes off the sufficiency and the sovereignty of our God and to place them on the wind and the waves that are all around us. To be consumed by the challenges. To be consumed by the problems. To say, oh man, that's a huge wave. How can I avoid this? Or to say, man, that wind's coming so strong. How can I? And we take our eyes off the sovereignty of God. And all the while, God is in heaven. He's saying, I got this. I got this. There's nothing that is too difficult for me. And what God is calling us to, you know, brothers and sisters, I can't interpret circumstances. I can't interpret all the various details. I don't know all the things that God is doing in our lives. And I know you you have many different things that you're grappling with right now. And I can't interpret all the things that God is doing. But I do know this. One of the reasons why God puts us in the most difficult and challenging circumstances that we face is simply because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. And if the wind and the waves seem overwhelming, if the trials and difficulties seem too great for us to bear, if there seems no answer, and if there seems no way forward. It is simply because God wants us to trust Him. To trust Him. Not to trust ourselves. Not to trust in man. Not to trust in ministry. Not to trust in our activities. Not to trust in our church. Not to trust in our history. But to trust Him. To trust Him. God is calling us to trust Him. Him, to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, to lean not on our own understanding, to just in all ways, just to acknowledge Him, that He would make our path straight. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is my exhortation to you this morning.
That is my challenge, and that is my encouragement to you this morning. Will you take your eyes off the wind and the waves? You know, Jesus is like, Peter, I got this. I got this. I control the waves. I control the wind. It's under my control. Just fix your eyes on me. In a similar way, God is saying to us to trust him. To trust him. Trust his heart toward us. That he is for us. He's not against us. To trust his power in our lives. That there's nothing outside of his sovereign control. And to trust his purpose. That he will accomplish the purpose to glorify himself for all of eternity. Trust in the Lord, brothers and sisters. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In February of 1758, Jonathan, um, Jonathan Edwards received the smallpox inoculation, and he had a wife named Sarah, and they'd been married 38 years. They had 11 children. As I thought about that, I just took a moment and just kind of taken back by that, just that alone, just 11 children, wow, just, you know, he really trusted in the Lord, and he received the smallpox inoculation, and in a turn of events, he actually contracted the disease of smallpox, and Edward suffered for a couple of weeks with tremendous suffering, and finally, he came down with a fever, and he died on March 22nd. And when Sarah, his wife, received the news of his death, she wrote this response to her daughter, Esther. She said, what shall I say? A good and holy God has covered us with a dark cloud. She said, oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouth. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long, but my God lives and he has my heart. We are all given to God, and there I am and love to be. Dear brothers and sisters, do you love to trust in the sovereignty of God? Is this doctrine a sweet medicine for your soul? Do you love to trust in his good purposes? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's bow together. Let's close in prayer and give God praise. Our Father, we love to ascribe to you sovereignty. And we love to trust in your sovereign purposes. And we love to just trust, Lord, that no matter what happens, no matter what we face, that you are in control. Lord, you, you've got this. You have us in your hands. You're going to do your good purposes. You're going to accomplish your sovereign will. You're going to do this because you love the glory of your great name. And all you call us to do, Lord, is to trust you. To trust you. 
Lord, I pray for every believer here this morning. Would you grant them the grace of quietness of heart? Pray for every dear Christian bought with the blood of Jesus that you would grant them by your grace quietness of soul. That we would be still. That we would know that you are God. That you will be exalted in all the earth. We pray that this truth would be a medicine for our soul. We pray that it will sweeten our spirits, Lord, this coming week. And even as we go forward, Lord, in your sovereign plan, and we trust in you for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.